so important to have our own autonomy with ourselves without our our job. And maybe that's what it means to be capitalism. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) To be like, I am me, job aside, this is who I am and who I will be no matter where I'm at. I think that's what it also means. And I could be wrong, but I think that's also what it means to have work-life balance, which is something I've never had. And I don't think you ever had, Audie. That's a really good point. Okay. Hello. Welcome to the fourth episode of Who Needs Permission? I am very excited. I have kind of a unique episode today for the first time ever in our four episode history of two guests on. And I am very excited to welcome Ani and Jocelyn, two of my very good friends from graduate school, um, to talk today about something that I think they've done that's really cool um, and probably really scary and hard. So I am going to have them introduce themselves, and then we will get into the uh, the meat of the episode. But uh, Ani, why don't you go first? Maybe tell me your name. Well, wait, they know your name. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell me where you're from, and what book are you reading right now? All right. Well, first of all, Hannah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited about this, and I'm excited about your podcast. Thank um, you. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. So as Hannah said, I'm Ani. Um, originally I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I, um, moved to Nashville for grad school, which is where Hannah and I met. What book are you reading right now? Right now I am reading The Priory of the Orange Tree, which is a fantasy epic that apparently has a sapphic love story in it as well. Um, yeah. So I usually don't read like high fantasy because I mean, that's quite a chunk of a book. Seriously, that looks like a brick. (laughs) She's holding up a book right now and it looks like a brick. Yes. It's supposed to be so good. Really? I've only heard Check good things out. about it. And the second um, book is coming out this year. It is. So far, I'm only 100 pages in, and it looks like I haven't even started it, but Did that you is just 100 say... pages. Oh, okay. I thought you said 800, and I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> but so far, it's good. So, so far, I recommend it. Thank you, Ani. So, Jocelyn, introduce yourself. Hi. So, I'm Jocelyn. I know Hannah and Ani. Um, and I met both of them through grad school. Um, I'm originally from Louisville, but I moved to Nashville almost five years ago, four and a half years ago from New Orleans, where I lived for three years. And Jocelyn, what are you reading right now? I just finished Cult Classic last night, which is a book that all three of us talked about at least this week, because I was really interested in the premise and like was reading sections of it out loud to you all when we had dinner in a bar which was cool (laughs) I felt I felt really sophisticated (laughs) um so I just finished that like quite literally like 8 p.m last night and it was very good so I do recommend it (laughs) so now which is the conundrum that all of you understand both of you understand which the audience is about to understand is that I have to decide what book to read next which is either going to be just a generalistic like general fiction book that is chill and nice and like fun, which is called The Sisters Brothers. Or do I read a book about <laughs> death and destruction, which is typically my MO, right. which is going to be about the five victims of Jack the Ripper. Those oh, are the two boy. books that are on my schedule <laughs> and I might read them both, but those are the next books that I'm going to read. All right. Well, I asked you both to join me and be 
brave enough to let me interview you for this, you know, concept of who needs permission to do cool things, even when it's hard. And you both left your jobs, but also your professions back in the summer of 2022. And I, you kind of took in my mind, this leap of faith. You didn't have anything lined up, but you knew it was time to go. And so I wanted to talk to you both about what that was like for you. I mean, Tell us a little bit about the situation and how you got to a point of taking that leap. Ani, why don't you go first? I did leave my profession last summer. Um, I am a former English teacher. And there is a huge mass exodus of teachers leaving the profession right now. So I'm sure it's not shocking that I used to be a teacher and I left the profession. I left because of the burnout, truly. I found that I was just in this place where I was just so burned out, I think kind of some depressive um, behaviors. I was working and I kind of put all my energy into work. So that's all I had. And then when I came home, if I wasn't working, I was either reading or sleeping and I could not manage more. Um, And it was even so hard that I really, I knew I wanted to exit the classroom, but everything just felt difficult. Like applying for more jobs felt difficult. Anything outside of what was necessary was difficult. And I was like, this, this is not a way to live. This is not sustainable. And, and it's a shame because I love teaching. I was in the classroom for five years. I taught in special education and general education. So I've taught all the way from small group classes to honors and international baccalaureate classes. And my, my, my uh, undergraduate degrees in English, I love literature. So it was leaving a profession that I loved because I knew it wasn't treating me right. I wasn't getting what I needed out of it. And it was affecting my life outside of the classroom. And if you have members out there and audience members who are listening who teach, you know, you know exactly it. You know what that's like to to have to work, to prepare for work, to go home to do work, to make sure, you know, everything's on track. And then, you know, not getting paid enough for it. Um, and then COVID, of course, impacted everything and made things a little bit more difficult. And so it was just, it was just time for me to go. And I did, I quit before I had something else lined up. I had a summer job lined up where I was going around training teachers and facilitating professional developments, which I loved. And they were like, Hey, stay in our contract pool, be a contractor for us. And I was like, that's good enough for me. I'm, I'm resigning. Unfortunately, I've not been able to contract with them since the summer, but it was, again, it was enough for me to be like, okay, I'm going. So I think, you know, we've been friends for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And I I knew you were wanting to leave the classroom. I didn't realize, you know, how you, you said everything was hard, even just like the idea of applying for more jobs, which job hunting is, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, it's awful. And I think it's hard because when we're all in it, it really sucks. But when you're not in it, it's hard to empathize. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I'm not actively seeking a job, it's, it's, I'm comfortable, you know? And so I just, I didn't realize how difficult that was, that time was for you of just not even feeling like you had the energy, but I would imagine that you definitely were not alone in that. Um, yeah. of just feeling like this is just one more thing that's going to require energy of me. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have the energy. Yeah. And it really was that way. And I mean, Hannah, you know, I, I had been applying for jobs like a year prior to that. But it wasn't with the the time, the energy, the just daily checklists of like, I need to network. I need to 
do X, Y, and Z. I need to rewrite yet another cover letter. Like it wasn't with that tenacity. And I, I didn't have the capacity for that. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't leave lightly. I pretty much asked everyone that I spoke to, like who had, everybody that I spoke to, teachers or not, but especially teachers who'd been in the profession for a long time. Like, what do you think of me leaving? Am I making a huge mistake? And most all of them, and these were teachers that have been in the profession for years that are very close to retirement that I've known for a long time that I respect. Nearly every single one told me if I was younger and if I wasn't so close to retirement, I would. But right now I just feel bound to this and I have to finish it. And I was like, gosh, I just don't want that to be me. And looking forward into my life with what you get back from teaching, especially financially, I was like, there, I have so many goals that I want to achieve that teaching will not allow. Like mm-hmm. even just little things like traveling or buying a house, you know, <laughs> like yeah. maybe bigger things, you know, just so many goals. And I was like, gosh, if I stay in this as much as I love it, there's so much that I won't be able to do. And I married and in my early thirties and my husband and I, of course, would like to have kids, but I was like, there's, <laughs> I cannot fathom being a parent and a teacher. And I know so many teachers out there who do it. And I have so much respect and I also don't get how they do it all. Yeah. It was just one of those things where it's like, I respect and admire y'all so much and I don't get how you do it. And I don't know if I'd be able to just truly just give everything what it needs. And so I was like, all right, I'm at this point in my career where I continue and give up a lot of my own goals and a lot of my own kind of mental and emotional health, or I stop. (laughs) I just, I reassess and go another direction. And so I did. So that was the decision. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds really hard. I'll be honest. And I know Jocelyn, you've also had experience teaching, but you were in a different, a different field. So do you want to talk a little bit about your experience and what led you to make your decision? Yeah. And I was like sitting here and kind of thinking, cause I've been thinking about this obviously a lot in the last, I guess, six plus months. So I got my undergrad in a secondary education and teaching was what I wanted to do for a really long time. I remember in like seventh or eighth grade telling one of my favorite teachers that like she was the inspiration for me wanting to teach But I also worked and volunteered in nonprofits from like middle into high school a lot. And my parents either work in nonprofits or have worked in nonprofits. So both of those options were kind of my main focus growing up. Um, And so I remember very specifically my senior year of college, I student taught and it took so much out of me. And it was very difficult. I worked in a rural school district in the middle of nowhere in Michigan, surrounded by cornfields. And the kids were a lot and they went through a lot of emotional stuff. Um, One of my students stole like $500 worth of books and a laptop. And I was almost subpoenaed to speak at his trial. And then one of my, and that was a seventh grader. And then an eighth grader uh, committed, tried to commit suicide um, while in one of my classes. So I had to like deal with that. And I was like, okay, um, I'm 21 years old. Can I do this when I'm 22 years old? Can I do this when I'm 23 years old? You know, and 50% of like first and second year teachers quit. Mm -hmm. That was a statistic that was always told to me. And I was like, I'm going to be that 50%. 
So I instead applied for a job and went into adult education instead at a nonprofit. And what I really ended up doing is I still taught. I taught adults and I did data and assessment strategies and I did all this different stuff. But I ended up just going into the nonprofit workforce for seven years. It was really great. It was really interesting. It opened me up to a lot of opportunities of wearing a lot of hats and doing everything. You're doing social media, you're doing event planning, you're doing teaching, you're doing like when I was in New Orleans, I was also helping adults who are older than me understand home, uh, like looking at homes and looking at rent and, and applying for jobs. And like, I wore as many hats as humanly possible. And that was the inspiration behind me going to grad school is that I was like, I need to understand the basis for how nonprofits work and if they work well and if they work poorly and how organizations work well and work poorly and leadership and all that stuff. I continued into nonprofits after grad school, but the main thing for me is that, um, and I think Ani, you'll probably agree with this, is the idea that both education and nonprofits really take on your entire life. And you kind of said that, Ani, is that it's like, it takes a certain person to say, I will do this every day for the rest of my life. And I was that person for seven years. But after a certain point in time, I was like, this is just not giving back to me anymore. It's just taking only. And it's not giving anything anymore. And I'm instead getting loss of sleep. I'm instead getting no benefits. I'm instead getting no support structure. I'm instead getting nobody at work who is helping me. I'm instead getting like leadership roles that I didn't want and I'm not being compensated for. And while those things aren't fully important to me, once they start to pile up after a certain point in time, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to be 30 years old this year and I don't have benefits. I'm going to be 30 years old and I make less than teachers make, which is still already saying much, but it's still pretty bad. Um, I'm 30 years old and I cannot afford, I can barely afford living in the city that I live in. I'm 30 years old and I can't do X, Y, and Z. And then I think there was kind of a, a specific sort of cluster of things at work where I was like, okay, I am, I've been at this job for three years. I worked on it through COVID. I worked on it while getting my master's and this job does not respect me but I've respected it for three years and given up a lot. As Ani said, like you get, you start to thinking about what you're giving up. I have this memory, Jocelyn, I have this memory of when we went, we were finishing our last semester of school when COVID happened. So we went online and I remember multiple times in classes when you would be on video, you were working and you had a job that involved class. yeah, Yeah. You had a job that involved like a tactical, you know, you were moving things, you were you were yeah. physically working. It wasn't like yeah. you're sitting at a computer. And I just remember like lectures and you were, you were talking and making comments and also like moving from place to place. So yeah. that really aligns with what you're saying about it just takes everything. Yeah. I would get in at work at 9 a.m. and I would leave at like 7.30 p.m. during COVID. But I also had class from four to seven every like three days a week. And I was like, okay, well now I have to balance both of these things. But I did that for my job and my job wouldn't really do it for me. So When I quit my job in June of 2022, I had every intention of going back into the nonprofit workforce. And then I spent four months unemployed and 
it really just gave me a reflection time of being like, what are my values still? These jobs that I'm applying to are not giving me those values. And so I am now in a job and I've completely changed into corporate world and it's giving me a lot more of my values, but I really had to change my thought process and my ideology and spend a lot of nights thinking what, why did I leave this job and what do I want to gain in a new job? I think for both of you, based on what you said, it sounds like, you know, being a teacher, Ani, Jocelyn being a teacher and then staying in nonprofit work was something that you knew you wanted to do from a young age. And I know you, Ani and I, we've, all of us have talked about, you know, in your mind, like based on your upbringing, like making money was something that wasn't necessarily a good thing, like in your religion. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, okay. No, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a, no, that's fine. Cause I grew up in a very, um, a Christian household. I went to a Christian high school. And um, now I will say, like, if my mom listens to this, she'll be like, what? Go make money. Like, I never told you that. <laughs> and mom, no, you you never told me that. It's true. But um, I just very much identified with the, and I and I, I love this. I, I'm not putting it down, but there just has to be a balance. And I got the balance wrong at a very young age. And so it messed it, I, well, I'll just, I'll just say it. Um, but you know, of course, um, in Christianity, it's about giving, right? It's about being selfless, pouring yourself out. It's about the people around you and giving back. And Jesus Christ had no place to rest his head. So what more should we want, right? We should be out there doing the work. And I even remember, I don't know if I ever told you all this, but when I was deciding what I wanted to do after high school, I wanted to go be a missionary in Africa like my church was connected with this missions group that worked in Uganda. And I was like, yep, that's what I want to go do. And my mom was like, over my dead body, you will go to college. You will go to college first. And after college, if you want to go like fine, but you will go to college. And I will forever be grateful for my mom for like being like, no, (laughs) get a degree. And then you can go do that, you know, and, and all that. And I'm so grateful. But anyway, so that was like very much my mindset in, you know, wanting to be like, just, it just, in just life, like making loads of money was never like the thing I wanted to do because the work that I did mattered. What I left behind on this earth mattered. And that still matters to me, but I'm like, well, but, but like, what about stuff I want too? What about, you know, having a kid, having kids one day and not having to struggle, you know? And so I had to really kind of reassess how I thought just in in my worldview, Jocelyn, like you said, you stayed up at night thinking and like rethinking, like, what does this all mean? Like, I kind of had to do the same and like, nope, I am going to pursue money. (laughs) And that's okay. Because again, at this point, and I love teaching, I loved it. I did love what I was able to do for my students. And I I loved my students, how I could support them and could support my fellow teachers. I loved all of that. But it's like, okay, I'm giving up a lot of my life. I am in my thirties now and I've got to make some strategic choices that'll benefit my family now and in the future, whatever that may look like. And so I really had to separate myself from this like very like missionary mindset, this mission mindset. I had to to separate myself from that. And I think too, most teachers, whether they're religious or not, have this very like altruistic mission mindset. Like, the income doesn't matter. It's all about the outcome. I saw that quote somewhere one time that was like, oh, God, 
Like, yeah. but you know, and I think, I think most teachers are like that and they're willing to do the work and they're willing to sacrifice their time because they've seen students change in their classroom. And that is something that every single educator who, sh- who should still be in the classroom should want, you know, is to see their students change, to see their students grow and develop. And it's, it's really, it's awesome. It's a really awesome part of a, of a job is, is seeing a student grapple with an idea and get it. And I taught English. So not only am I like, yeah, you can write really well now, or that was an excellent, you know, analysis or whatever, but really grapple with like, what does it mean to be a good person in the world or have those really big conversations of, wait a minute, why is this world so weird? But, you know, so it's really cool to see young people grapple with these big ideas. But again, it comes to a point where, okay, this is all great. I love that I'm pouring out. I love that I'm giving back, but what am I getting in return? And again, it got to the point where I was just burnt out and I, and it wasn't enough. Yeah. And I think what I admire so much about both of you is you, you know, you may not feel this way, but how I see you is you live within that complexity of, I do care. I want to be a good person. I want to give back. And I know you both are very strong in that. And at the same time, I need to take care of myself and these things don't allow me to take care of myself. And I think that, um, the both the nonprofit and education world, the messaging is exactly what you said, Ani, is just keep pouring out. And I personally have to say, I wanted to be a teacher when I was younger. And I am so grateful I am not, mostly because I think the profession would have chewed me up and spit me out <laughs> with how tough it is, how difficult it is, especially these days to be a teacher. So anyways, and I, I know Jocelyn, like the nonprofit sector, for better or for worse, is notorious for just give, give, you know, it's, we have a very Puritan way of looking thing, looking at things and give of yourself and ask for nothing because you are, you're doing it for service. So you shouldn't want anything else. Totally. And it's interesting too, because, you know, I was in nonprofits for seven years and at the very beginning, I was so gung ho for that philosophy, I was like, oh yes, I'm going to, you know, like whatever money you give me is totally fine. I'm going to, you know, I might as well like punch myself in the face while I'm doing this because (laughs) like, I need to show you how much I care. And I, not to say that like not caring as much as I did was a big deal because I also had like, you know, when I was younger, I also had that like really frustrated thought process that it was like, you don't, if you don't show as much enthusiasm for this that I do, then like clearly you don't care as much as I do, which is inherently false. But I couldn't reconcile the idea that was like that like propaganda that's being put into my head that is like, you don't deserve to have this much money. You don't deserve, like you need to come in 40 hours a week, but then also maybe 50 hours a week, maybe 60 hours a week. You deserve to like not take vacation days like all these things were sucked from me and I was willing to do it because I'm like, cause I'm giving back to society. Well, like nobody actually cares. Like there's no, like, there's no like awards at the end of the year that is like, Jocelyn did a really great job. In fact, nobody cares because people are like, oh, we'll just keep using her because clearly right. she is putting forth a good effort. And I let that happen to me in my first nonprofit for a really long time because I was like, oh yeah, I'll just like skip work like I'll work on Martin Luther King Day I'll work on Labor Day and then like at some point maybe I'll get those hours back no I will never get those hours back in fact my boss will just take those from me but 
I, even in my more recent job that I was at for three years, I was a little bit older and wiser. And I still was like, oh, I won't take vacation days because people don't understand new processes because we had some turnover. And so I was like, oh, seeing as I'm the most senior, seniority, I don't know why I said senior, seeing as I'm the most senior, (laughs) um, (laughs) like clearly I have to be here because people seem to need to rely on me. Well, then that means that I never get vacation days where I never take vacation and then I'm never relaxing. I'm never like, and then I end up, I think I worked 50 to 60 hour weeks for three to four months in a row every single week. And it's just a very difficult lifestyle when you're also not getting paid anything. So you're not really getting anything out of it. It's just a very frustrating process to then have people like you two and, you know, my therapist come to me and say, like, you know, I'm genuinely concerned about your well-being. And I'm like, well, but like the children care. And they're like, you, they don't know you exist. Like they, they just right. like get a book and then they're happy about it. So I think what it really boils down to is our great 20th, 21st century philosopher RuPaul, which is saying, <laughs> like, if you don't love yourself, how the hell can you love somebody else? Which is the idea that and I think Ani, I'm just, I'm just continually putting words in Ani's mouth, but it's like what I felt at the end of working at all of these jobs was like, I have spent years and years and years putting forth effort to build up other people around me that I've torn down myself in a lot of different ways. I'm not eating well. I'm not sleeping well. I'm not taking care of anything. I can't buy things for myself very, very well. Like I can't do all these things for myself, but damn it, if that person who I'm like that I'm serving our clientele is not like getting perfect books, is not getting a great education, is not getting a great assessment. But that doesn't hold up if you don't know, like if you can't pay for your car to get to your job, or if you can't like sleep well at night or eat well. So now you're sick, or like you, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of other people is what I've really found. And I like kept trying to fight through that. And then I, I really thought about it, especially at my old job. And I was like, okay, um, I can't sustain this. And the only way that I can change this in myself is if I change physical professions, because I don't love myself anymore at this job. Yeah. And I don't know if it's nonprofit life. I don't know if it's just this physical space, but like clearly I don't feel respected anymore and I don't respect myself and I know that it won't, nothing will change. So like I can't continue at the level that I'm continuing at and I cannot find a solution in any of this space. So RuPaul is telling me to change (laughs) and I trust RuPaul. I owe it all to RuPaul. (laughs) I do. So one of the things I feel like the three of us have bonded over is being perfectionists. Um, I think we're all Enneagram one. Is that right? Are we all? No, Ani, you're a... No, I'm a, I'm a two and I wing one and three. So okay. Okay. I just dip into that so, little section. Jocelyn, I see Jocelyn's emptying, emptying a bottle of wine over here. I'm, I'm nearing the end of my beer. It was um, ha- only half full. Today, yeah, no, hey, no judgment from me. Um, and Jocelyn, you're I a one. I am a one wing too. Yeah. So 
Um, I'm a one wing two as well. And so we all have, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's a self-assessment or it's an assessment that you can learn more. It's, it's got a lot of deep layers to it, but it's essentially a personality test. And the, the one is very focused on what is good and what is bad and how to be good. How can we be good people? And the two is very focused on caring for others. So uh, oftentimes we have people pleasing and perfectionism all in the same boat. And I think and that damn it, if that isn't a doozy, it's <laughs> such a fun time. <laughs> such a great because I realize other is, people are having a completely different life experience than me. I know there like, are people just like out there living as like an eight, or yeah, a nine, or a seven. And I'm just like, just like living I'm like, their best what are life. You living? I'm like, well, okay. And they don't. I don't know what flowers this. smell like. I'm too busy saving the world. I know. What I is know. a three, Ani? Do Let me know? actually. I need to look it up again. Um, it says a two with wing three is a host or hostess. Mm-hmm. Kind of take that takes that on, and that's very much me too. Like when people come over to my house, I'm like, I feel like my grandma. Have you eaten? Are you hungry? What kind <laughs> of alcohol would you like? And they're like, I nothing. And I'm like, What do you mean nothing? I need to serve you. You must take that. Like- <laughs> but um, anyways, so I'm sorry. We're all. Uh, we I think we all would probably consider ourselves perfectionists, maybe a different flavor among each of us and how we experience that and live it out. But I think it can be, I think for all of us, it seems like we needed to prove to ourselves that we were good or we needed to be the most giving in order to be like square in our own books. And it sounds like you two have both found a way to break through that, which I think is really cool. I mean, the last couple of episodes I've done, I've talked to people who are, you know, they're doing specific like businesses or sports or something like that. But I think you two are, you have taken this leap. I know it's been hard. I feel like you're in it. It sucks at times, but the cool thing you've done is you put yourself first and you have waded through a lot of bullshit that I think take in externally, but then also I think we're lucky enough that our personalities <laughs> really embrace that bullshit um, and make it into something. And we're going to be like, we're going to be the best at this stupid situation. So I just want to yeah. say, I think, you know, that is one of the, that's why I wanted to talk to you all. Cause I think that is such hard work and also to let go of what you thought was your passion, what you yeah. thought was who you are. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for saying that, Hannah. And I think that really resonates with me of like breaking through that, like perfectionism to like kind of just get to the other side. And really, I think my, my flavor of perfectionism is in my work. Like I would spend so much time and I really love curriculum development and design so much. Like if I could just do that and I've applied to many, many a job in that field, if I could just do that, like it's so fun, but my lessons were crafted. Like everything, my slides were beautiful. There was a good flow. These, like everything was well aligned and I loved it. And then I would always, you know, share my Google Drive with fellow teachers. But again, it's like, I'm not going to give my fellow coworkers crap. It'll all be good. Yes. And so I think that is where my perfectionism yes. came out. And then if you, if you saw my desk at work, it was an absolute mess because I am not like papers were stacked. Stuff is everywhere. If you come home, like I am not a, this tidy homemaker, like it's a mess. So it's like, I feel like when my perfectionism comes out, it is, it's like very focused. And I think Hannah too, you said there's like a part where it's like, I have to prove to myself and everybody else that I am awesome here. And a lot mm-hmm. of that energy, I think 
went there because I was very passionate about teaching. But again, like I always had to prove to myself, like, I am good at this. That last unit wasn't a fluke. It couldn't have been, right? I need to, <laughs> I need to prove once again that I'm good at this. Like, oh, yeah. No, I just, I was. Like, I know, like, I was a really good teacher. <laughs> there is qualitative and quantitative evidence to back it up. I'm not just saying that. I can back no, it up. No, you were a good but... teacher, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to kind of to take this metaphor of my classroom and it being perfect up front with what student, like the lesson students had. And then my desk being a mess, I like metaphorically had to turn to my desk and go, wait a minute. That's where I live though. <laughs> That's my life. How do I fix that? Like that is just getting pushed to the back. So my profession in, in teaching me as a teacher can, you know, be the best. And, and I would have never changed that because I never took lightly the fact that I had human beings in my classroom and whatever I said, they would, would or, or wouldn't take it in, but I was giving it to them. And I, I never took that lightly. So yes, not only did I have to prove to myself that I was, I could really do it, but I like the responsibility of teaching is really huge and heavy because I knew what I was giving my students would impact them one way or another. And so my energy went there and I think it was right to do it, but I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> what about my messy desk? What about me? What about my own life and my own family? Yeah. Right. I just okay. like freaked myself out basically. <laughs> like I, I think I very distinctly remember that. So like the basic story for me is that I tentatively quit my job on a Friday and then I really quit my job on a Monday. But the fun part is that my parents came to town over the weekend, which was already planned. And oh. so the entire weekend was like, oh my God, let's like go to Franklin. Let's like go shopping. Let's like go see a battlefield. And then the entire thing was marred was like, but are you going to quit your job? Because you shouldn't quit your job. My perfectionistic, perfectionistic tendencies are something that I'm very aware of and things that I'm trying to like either work around or accept in different ways. But like, I don't fly on a whim. I have to have plan A through like D and I will work on them. So to unassumingly quit my job and then like think through it later on, I was already in panic mode. And then to have my parents come in and be like, these are like, these are the reasons that you shouldn't quit. There was still a voice in my head that was like, but here are all the reasons you should based on your like mental health and like reason for living and like desire to want to do better for yourself and stuff. And I was really battling with the idea of perfectionistic tendencies versus like health and well-being. And I was like, which one is it? <laughs> which one is it? <laughs> my people-pleasing tendencies and my perfectionistic tendencies mean that I should stay and apologize for ever being alive or like breathing in my work zone. My tendencies of keeping myself alive and well are telling me that I should quit my job. <laughs> and I have my parents that are like, these are all the legal reasons that you should not quit. And here are all the like financial reasons you should not quit. And then here are all the social reasons you should not quit. And I was like, don't you think I've gone over those? I've not slept. You have been here and I 
like I'm learning about the civil war. I'm like, there's a civil war in my brain. (laughs) We don't need to be on this battleground. And then when I actually, I did quit my job on Monday, I went through four months of me being like the perfectionistic person was like, "Mm, you really shouldn't have done that. Like I, I continually had to fight that perfectionism for the well-being of myself. You know, I think Ani, you had Ethan, your husband sounded like he was very supportive. I don't know Mm -hmm. about the rest of your friends and family. Um, how they were, whether or not they were supportive. Um, But I know Jocelyn, you definitely had some like strong detractors. I didn't realize they were physically in town with you. Um, (laughs) I, I know in this like big leap of faith I took, I was so lucky in so many ways. And having a supportive family and friends was a big one. Because as I mentioned before, I like talk to everybody I talk to. Like, I'm thinking about quitting. What do you think? And everybody, <laughs> like every, I, I bothered everybody about it. Um, but everybody was super supportive because again, like the teaching profession is not only getting more and more difficult, not only are we still not paid what we should be, but now it's getting physically dangerous, you know? And, um, when I decided to quit, Uvalde didn't happen. I think it didn't, ha- I mean, not, it was, it was only like weeks after I like officially resigned that Uvalde happened. And so it's like, so not only is this like difficult, but now it's dangerous. And my mom was like, girl, you have a master's degree, go get that money. Like she was, again, my mom was very supportive. (laughs) And, And, but yeah, so Ethan was incredibly supportive. You all were wildly supportive as well. And Jocelyn, your zeal definitely helped me, uh, (laughs) carry me through, um, I, like, so, yeah, I, I am dead inside. Why don't you join me? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be dead inside anymore. I'm already there. Like, let's not be dead inside anymore. Let's just quit and find something new and exciting. So um, that is something that I've been so grateful for is, is the support. And nobody was like, I don't know, honey, maybe you're making the wrong choice. Like everybody was like, yeah, we yeah. see it as people who aren't educators. Like we see how like wild this is, go do something right better for yourself. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad teacher if you're struggling or you leave because the situation you are not set up to succeed. It's really true. It's really true. Teachers are, are hit with so much all the time. And I remember too, last year, a mouse was banned in a Tennessee County mm-hmm. school district. That was just last year. Seems so long ago. That was yeah. just last year. Which um, is a book about the Holocaust. Yes. By Art Spiegelman. If you're listening out there and you haven't read it, go read it right now. It's so go good and it's so it. important. Um, but that was banned. And I remember at all so many teachers were like, wait, what does this mean for us? And I was like, well, it's going to stay on my shelf. But it did come to a moment, too, where I was like, well, <laughs> I know if I stay, I will make the right decision for my students because I will cultivate a place for all students to feel safe. I will have authors of color on my bookshelves and LGBTQ authors on my bookshelves. And we will talk about the fact that Emily Dickinson was a lesbian and I might get fired one day. Oh, well, like I very much had that, like, I'm either going to stay and fight and maybe get fired. And that was honestly too, that idea was like very exciting for me. But again, it's like, well, that's only one battle too, and everything else that's going on and how it's truly affecting my life and my health. And and again, there's just a point where there's more than one way to stand up for what's right. And so I will find other ways to do that. And Ani, I know you're still looking. What's that been like for you? Just continuing on to find something? 
the job has been frustrating, but I, it's not all been frustrating for sure, because just as people were supportive of me leaving, I've had a lot of support in the job hunt. I've, I've networked with so many people and I feel like every person I've gotten to talk with, I mean, even if it didn't lead to a job, it led to like a really important piece of the puzzle to help me better myself for the future. So the job hunt has been horrible. <laughs> but I am really grateful though, how I've been able to grow from it as a professional. Cause even though, and that's weird. I just said that out loud and it sounds funny that I've been able to grow as a professional in a time when I've literally been without a profession, but I really have because it's about in the working world. Who are you? What has your work done to build who you are and who you want to be? And just even articulating that and learning how to flip everything we've done in the classroom to like corporate it's been, it's been really invaluable and it's been a long journey. It's been horrible, but there's been a lot of, a lot of really good things that have come through it. And, you know, even though I'm still, it's now January and, um, I'm still kind of in this like weird place. I, I wouldn't have changed it. Like if I could go back and have taught this year, I wouldn't have, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> and I remember just in the middle of the job hunt, having really to define for myself, what failure was, because I felt like a massive failure. But I had to stop and go, I'm not the only person who struggles with a job hunt. This is not, not uniquely to me. I'm not so special that I'm the only one that has a hard time. Like, this is a hard, like, it's a hard thing. So what does failure look like? And I really had to sit down and think of, think about that to myself as I was getting ghosted or rejection emails or whatever. And it's like, these aren't failures. To me, what a failure is, is going back to the classroom in November, having only been out for a few months or, you know, whenever. To me, that's failure because I gave up because I didn't, because I decided I didn't want to try anymore because it's hard. And I, I could go back to a profession that I knew I would get, I could get hired in again. Um, and so that to me was a really important thing to define for myself because it kept me sane and grounded as I continued the job hunt. It feels weird for me to say that like going back to teaching is a failure because it's such a fucking important profession. <laughs> Something I've been thinking about a lot is I see um, there, there's a lot of layoffs going on right now. And I think it's become clear to me. I think I used to be a little bit more of a Pollyanna and thought like you, Jocelyn, like, oh, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that they, you know, decided I was good enough and I have to prove and I have to show I'm committed when in reality, uh, sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are. They might still lay you off and they're not in the business of taking care of people. They're in the business of making money. And that's been a hard realization for me to realize like the world is not what I want it to be. It's not what I hoped it would be because in order to create value, you need people and you need talented people and people who are engaged and want to be there. But at the end of the day, if your business function is no longer useful, it doesn't matter how many years of service you've given them. It doesn't matter whether or not they like you, you're gone. <laughs> and so I, I think that one, that's awful and it sucks. And two, I think it has encouraged me to think about myself beyond my profession. Who am I beyond the things that I do for money? Because um, I take a lot of pride in my work and I take my work very seriously and I work really hard and I like the people I work with. I care about them, but I also like, I'm more than just the work that I put in. And I think you both have kind of shown that through the choices you've made that you, I am not 
you know, I'm not just this, I need more and I'm going to go get it. And that doesn't mean that I am bad or a failure. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Hannah. And I, I think that definitely has really rung true for me in this time. Because again, to be a teacher, it has to be a lifestyle. If you're doing it right, it is your lifestyle. And so to step away from that and go, I'm no longer a teacher. It really is. And it really was. And still in some ways, it's like weird sort of like, like crisis of identity. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if I'm not a teacher, what am I? And wait, how do I translate all these skills over? And then I think that's why I said earlier that I've kind of grown as a professional because I've seen myself and who I am and what I have to offer and what I know in my skill set. I've seen it beyond the classroom and I understand how I could transfer it to different jobs. And it's really exciting. It's super exciting. And I really do feel like stronger as a person, but yeah, it's so important to have our own autonomy with ourselves without our, our job. And maybe that's what it means to be capitalism. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) To be like, I am me job aside, this is who I am and who I will be no matter where I'm at. I think that's what it also means and I could be wrong, but I think that's also what it means to have work-life balance, which is something I've never had. And I don't think you oh, ever right. had, Audie. <laughs> that's yeah, a the, really good point. The target audience of this podcast is probably not going to be those people who no. just naturally understand that. <laughs> I mean, I've never had that. So like, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, maybe that's not beating capitalism. Maybe it's just work-life balance. No, I think that is capitalism because <laughs> capitalism doesn't want you to have work-life balance. So your job is your life. What advice do you have for people who are experiencing something like what you were experiencing a year ago? It's not an easy choice to make, but sometimes you just need to make the hard choice and then think about yourself in the future. Like think of, man, life can be so different in a year. And when I was deciding to quit teaching, I saw my life like, kind of flash before my eyes. That's like, if I'm teaching and I think about five years from now, that person that's there, I'm not happy with. Like what she's doing is the same thing I'm doing now, but even more exhausted. And I can't even fathom what that is like. So I had to think of myself in the future outside of teaching and going, okay, well, what, what could the possibilities be? And I owe that to myself because this sounds so cheesy, but life is too short. So make the hard choice with the thought of who are you going to be in a year from now, in six months from now. And if you're suffering, you don't have, well, it's really flippant to say you don't have to, because it's a process, you know what I mean? But you don't have to stay in that place. Like I could have stayed in a place where I was just at capacity all the time. And I couldn't really do much more than just my job and come home and read and sleep and and hope the summer came quickly. Like, you know, I, I didn't have to stay in that place. And I think once I kind of told myself, hey, you don't have to stay here. And then once, of course, everybody I ever talked to in my life told me, yeah, you don't have to stay there. I was like, okay, I'm not going to stay here. But I think too, also take the leap, but definitely be realistic and, and have a contingency plan made. I'm glad I did because when things didn't work as quickly as I wanted it to, I already knew what I was going to do next. So I had a summer job where I facilitated professional development, and I was able to save some money from that. I had some options to contract that didn't work out as I hoped. So 
I still wasn't getting a job. So my plan was, Hey, I'm going to go work with Ethan for a minute. (laughs) And I did. And so all of that. So when I hit those walls, like those doors didn't just like fly open. Like I was just hoping they would, um, I had a plan. So it made me ready for, for anything that happened. And I'm really grateful I had those plans because if I didn't, I might be teaching again. And I think also defining to what does failure look like for you? That was a really huge piece for me of what does failure look like? So if I'm not doing that, then yeah, this is hard and it's not pretty, but it's not failing. It's just getting through the process and just forgiving yourself and, and, and just seeing what happens. I love that, Ani. And I think when, when I hear you talk, I also think like having, it seems like having an open mind to who you are and who you can be and having an open mind about what, what does it mean to actually live your values? Cause I think Mm -hmm. we, all of us, you know, getting through our twenties probably have changed who we thought we would be, what we would be doing, who we would be doing it with several times in the last 10 years. And so having an open mind to what's possible and not deciding that if it's not what you thought it would be, then it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Jocelyn. I think for me, it was like two things. The first is that I have learned that I typically go with the first like instinct that comes to my head. Like the first thought on an idea that comes to my head is what I typically go with. But what I've learned is that that is never what I actually truly want to do, if that makes sense. And there's an article that I read that was like the first thought that comes to your mind after an incident or like the first instinct that comes to your mind is what is like taught to you. So like what your parents teach you, what your teachers teach you, what society teaches you. So like, for example, when I got into Vanderbilt, the first thought that came to my mind was like, you can't leave this job. They need you. You don't like it here, but they need you. So you should stay. What I found is that the second thought that you think is your actual pure thought that is stripped of all that meaning and is what you actually feel. And so my second thought was like, you need this. You have to go. So what I've learned over the last like year plus is to always think my second thought. And I found that like my first thought is me just being like, okay, whatever. Like, let's think the first thought and then <laughs> let's let that drama queen go. And then let's think our real thoughts. Oh, and I, like I have really tried that and I really appreciate it a lot more because always my first thought is panic in a lot of situations or anxiety. So like, It is thinking about what other people would think or what the outside world understands and like all that stuff. So I'm trying to think my second thought a lot more. And what I've learned is that has helped me way more. It's not perfect, but it helps me a lot more. So I recommend that to a lot of people. And I, it has to be a lot more conscious because I just go with my thoughts. What I would recommend is that you just sit there and think of your thoughts a lot more to say if your first thought when you're thinking of quitting your job or thinking of leaving an entire area of your life that you've been in for years is scary or intimidating or something that you shouldn't do, that might be what society is putting on you or your family is putting on you or your friends are putting on you or what have you. However, going with that, I think it's also important to have a very good structure and system there with you 
because I don't think I could do this by myself. If I quit my job and tried this again, I think the only thing that got me through those four-ish months is the fact that I had the opportunity to text people like Ani and to like go to dinners and to complain. But I, it was also so helpful to have a structure to say, these are all of the things that I'm feeling and I don't need to feel them by myself because it's a lot of heartbreak and a lot of heartache. You're putting yourself out there in a way like, and I, I called Hannah and I was like, I feel like people are breaking up with me and I don't even know who they are. Cause it's, you're putting yourself out there professionally and people are just saying no to you without even knowing who you are. So I think it's a really important to have a structure who know you both personally and professionally to help you, but also to just listen. Those are really the main things I would say, because your instincts to understand who you are, are more important than your instincts, like the instincts of other people around you. People say they know you, but if you truly think that you're in a space that is not healthy for you or fulfilling for you or anything like that, you have to listen to yourself. And it may be as scary as shit to leave a job that you thought would be your job for the rest of your life. But if you have a voice inside you that is like, this is not fulfilling to me anymore, then you have to listen to it. Having this conversation with you makes me admire you even more. I adore you both. And I'm so grateful for our friendship. Yeah, I adore you too. And Jocelyn, I adore Mm -hmm. you too. And I'm so glad that you all were part of that support system. And I feel so lucky that I met you both nearly four and a half years ago. Which is crazy. Maintained our friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Can I give a quick plug to another podcast, Hannah? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of like having support and, you know, people you can talk to or vent to, but there's a podcast that I would listen to, especially on the days when I just felt really down. It's called the Teacher Career Podcast. Daphne Gomez is her name. She runs a podcast and she has this whole like media company. But it's all, it's made to help teachers transition outside of the classroom because there is now such a teacher crisis that there is a whole industry out there dedicated to supporting teachers transitioning out of the classroom. Um, but this podcast I just found really helpful. Like she had a whole podcast about failure and fear and, you know, what do you do when you feel ghosted and, you know, kind of rebuilding yourself and translating your resume and all these things. And, um, I really felt like, okay, like, yeah, I'm not so special that it's just me. Like there's a whole bunch of us out here that are struggling and, and this is not forever and this will not be forever. And these feelings won't be forever and this time won't be forever. And that's okay. And we just got to keep pushing through. So that was really helpful to me. And yeah, and and to your listeners out there, if you don't mind me getting on a soapbox really quick. We love admire and I love teachers and they are such hard workers. And they hear that and they're heroes and they hear that all the time, right? But lip service doesn't pay bills. Lip service does not help us lesson plan at midnight or, you know, help us do what we need to do in our own personal lives. Lip service doesn't do any of that. So if you're listening out there, please, whenever you vote, think about teachers, keep education in mind, vote for teachers, see what you can do to make a change in your community and environment for teachers. Because when you invest in teachers, you invest in students, which are probably a lot of your own children out there. I also say that's true for a lot of nonprofits is that like just saying thank you for all the work you've done means nothing because they work off of nothing. I'm not saying that you need to go volunteer for every nonprofit that you work that like 
is near you. But if you're volunteering at a nonprofit, like volunteer at that nonprofit, like don't just say you're going to do things. I recommend like researching nonprofits that you really care for and then volunteering at them and putting in effort. Um, We have opinions, people. (laughs) If you want to listen to a podcast of the three of us talking about literally everything, we should do that. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) Upvote upvote this episode and then the three of us will just complain all the time. (laughs) 